And I think how sad is that? You actually think a full schedule is good, but it's, it, I think it actually means you just don't know what you're doing. Welcome back to the Wild Goose Chase, where we help you to grow your business, build wealth, and live a life by design. And today's guest is James Shramko, and he is definitely someone you want to pay attention to if you're interested in living a life by design. He is a, a business coach. He's helped thousands of business owners to work less and make more, which is also the name of his book, which is a brilliant book. And so if you have any aspirations to live a life by design where you can work less, make more, optimize yourself to do your most highly effective activities, reprogram yourself to create a more optimal, relaxing, and also profitable existence, then this is a great episode for you. James is a wealth of knowledge. He is uh, highly respected in the online business space and has been for years. And it was a real genuine pleasure to be able to spend a bit of time with this man and pull out some nuggets of wisdom. I really wanted to pull out some of his like unconditional thinking, which is what James is known for. He really thinks about things in a unique way, which has driven him to great levels of success and freedom. And I'm really excited to be able to pull out some of that and deliver that to you today. So without any further ado, um, let's get stuck right into it. But before we do, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you are. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you're on whatever, Spotify or Apple or whatever, hit the subscribe button now. And of course, make sure you share this with someone who you think would benefit from it as well. It actually helps a lot. The more subscribers we get, the more views we get, the better the guests we get, the better it is for you. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wild Goose Chase. Joining me on today's show is James Shremko. James, you have been, I, over the years that I've been involved in online businesses, in the like marketing and all that kind of stuff, you have been a beacon that has stood out that seems to be universally respected by all of the biggest names out there in the space, which is really interesting. And it seems like you have been in this space since pretty much the start of the internet, which is fascinating. And in a world where hustle culture is alive and well, you stand out as someone who's challenging the status quo. And you wrote a book called Work Less, Make More. Talk to me a little bit about that philosophy and how you ended up where you are. Um, the person helping me write the book, Kelly, uh, named the book after mm -hmm. helping me put it together. Like We weren't sure what we were going to call it, but she said, you know what, all of this material, this, this stuff you've been teaching and the way that you live, it, it really summarize, It could be summarized by Work Less, Make More. And a shorter title might have been Leverage. But I took a lot of the lessons that I learned in my actual career before I quit that to come online and I brought it to the online space where a lot of the online people were highly visionary, very creative, uh, doing cool stuff, but a lot of them lacked fundamental life slash business skills. So I found my little space helping these people, often behind the scenes and often a lot of the heavy hitters, the famous people who I've met in person by visiting the United States or going to conferences in other countries. I actually developed my market by going there. In the early days, I did that upfront work so that I can coast a little bit down the track. Nice, nice. Okay, that's super interesting. So your background was actually, if I remember correctly, your background was um, at Mercedes-Benz originally. What, what made you transition? What made you kind of like step out of being a successful kind of We'll say corporate into wanting to, you know, work more in the online online space. Well, I just wanted freedom. You know, I'd get in, get on my suit and uh, hop in my car, and I'd drive in traffic to the dealership, and I'd do that six or seven days a week, whilst my family was at home or at school or going to bed. You know, it was it was long hours. It was hard work, and I 
also felt a sense of single source dependency. I realized that I was tied to one income and if that income stopped, I'd be in trouble. And I'd already been through that as a kid. When I was uh, sort of my formative adolescent years, my parents got crunched a bit in the um, recession that happened around the, the late 80s, early 90s. And we ended up sort of moving out of our nice home in a nice suburb and selling the nice car. And I had to go and get a job and stop studying. And, you know, all these years later, I realized, hang on, I could be repeating a cycle here. Like if I lose my job, I was a general manager, I was on a big salary. But if something happens, then something was starting to happen. There was a, a financial fallout happening with subprime lending in the United States. And I'm in the luxury car segment and it didn't look good to me. It seemed like there was a train coming down the tunnel at me and I needed to have my own business, but I didn't really know what my own business would be. But most of my clients had their own business. That was an interesting fact. They also were dressing the way they wanted and doing activities in their own schedule instead of grinding away in the corporate life. So I guess it was a dream and it was sort of piecing together the idea that the internet could be worth learning and understanding as I taught myself to build a website that ended up being the escape hatch for me. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. So, okay, so I understand the pathway. So you felt trapped. You could see other people living a life of more freedom. So um, what I'm interested about your story is, as I understand it, you work about four to, uh, three or four days a week, right? You spend most days surfing. You spend a lot of time traveling. You spend time with family and friends, yet you are financially successful. You've helped thousands of people do the same kind of thing. So- Talk to me about that. Like, talk to me about the, the process of lifestyle design because you don't accidentally end up there. I know loads of people who have started their own businesses, myself included, and I work a lot more than three, four days a week and I don't go surfing every day. I mean, I don't surf, but, the, you know, but, but the, shame. the premise- It really would change your life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I've honestly, I've, I've tried, but I um, I broke my back in a motorbike accident when I was younger and there's something about the, um, there's a there's a part, of, a part of it that just doesn't gel with my physiology, unfortunately. Oh, that's I'm, fair enough. I'd be confident. That's a, that's a legit Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to get in the water though. I like to scuba dive. I don't do it as often as I should, but I like that, pro, that, that kind of connectivity is uh, is really, really important. No, I didn't start so, there. It sort of ended up there, but I, I do. I've been working a three-day schedule for about eight years, so I know it's possible. And So so how did you end up there? Because that, that must be a process, right? You know? I mean, I used to work seven days a week because yeah. I came from a seven-day-a-week industry. The motor dealership was open seven days a week, and it was hard to get rid of that. When I went online, I was just peddling like mad, like I wanted to succeed, so I I increased my income. I built out lots of different profit pillars because I didn't want to be single source dependent. I think at one point, my first year after quitting my job, I had 11 different income streams. And over the years, I started to pare back the the days of the week that I worked. It's the, the thing that really, the, there was one catalyst for that and it was attending a conference or a series of training by um, strategic coach. And they talked about buffer days and the challenge for me then was, can I have a whole of Sunday off without checking my phone or laptop? And, you know, aside from that, the only time I'd not been on the computer was like Christmas Day or whatever as a reward for my family. I'd <laughs> just not, not go near the computer. But it's fair to say I was spending too much time on the computer before that. So I, I wound back Sundays and then I enjoyed that and I wound it back, you know, the weekends. And then I, I just went for the Monday and the Friday as well. So for a long time, I was doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as my call days. Now, to be clear, I'll still do some things on the other days, but they're at my own schedule. I don't take scheduled calls on the non-scheduled call days. And that 
having that clear delineation between on time and off time is where you get that mental space and the ability to start thinking more about what your intentions are, what what do you actually want your life to look like? And I came up with this idea that I want my business to fund my life and the business has to fit around my life. I do want to surf every single day. I've already surfed today, for example, and it's still a cold day. For the last few weeks, I've been working about seven hours a week. So for most of the last year or two, I've been working about 49 hours a month, but I'm going to get that down to about 40 hours a month. But that's not everyone's goal. I want to be clear about that. A lot of people I coach aren't trying to work that little. A lot of them are trying to build something or they're in the earlier phase of it. So I had to do the ramp up to get to this point. But the again, back to leverage, because of the business model I have, it's allowed me to have a good income but not have to work all that time. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that, right? Because how like how can you position this ideal with somebody who like like take Elon Musk as an extreme example, yep. wants to colonize Mars, change the world, do all this kind of stuff, works a thousand hours a day type thing. Yep. There's a belief, I guess, that the more you work, the more you will achieve. And a lot of people, you know, intrinsically, they're like, I want to build something big and impactful. Therefore, I must work more. Do you think that is true? Because, you know, you're optimizing for working the, as you know, simplify too much, but working as little as you can whilst also achieving your financial and business goals, something along those lines. How do you rationalize that with someone who has a belief that they, in order to achieve a great thing, they must also, I think Elon Musk says something like, you know, if everybody else is working 40 hours a week and you work 80 hours a week, you know, you're going to, you'll basically beat double, right? Which is a very simplistic way of thinking about it. Is that, is that true in your opinion? Or talk to me about that. Well, it might be his truth. You know, it's not for me to, it, it's really none of my business what what he thinks is the perfect life for him. But I can tell you where I'm having impact. I'm having impact with my four-year-old daughter. We spend every day together. Uh, we swim. We, we do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We, we prepare meals. We do arts and crafts and piano and trampoline and we go to the beach. Elon Musk hardly sees his kids. He's got kids with different partners. He even forgets his own birthday because he's still in the office. So for me, that's not the life I want. And that's all that matters. Like, where do I want my impact? I think a lot of these super successful people that get quoted are covering up for some flaw or or they're missing out on something like Warren Buffett, for example. He thinks money is how you keep score, uh, but probably he grew up without money. So he's trying to compensate for that. Gary Vee, he's trying to buy a football team so he can hang up his uh, mum's jersey that had knitted him so that he can say, hey, we had no money and now we can afford a, a team. But maybe that's just ego. I don't know. I'm I'm not as competitive as I used to be. I'm thinking more about how do I want to live my life and I just want to surf. I want to spend time with my family and I do help the people that I help. But also I feel like there's actually a better life available to me making a couple of million dollars a year than making $100 million a year or $15 million a year. I suspect some people have got goals that aren't really uh, authentically theirs. They may they may have had someone else put that goal. Like there's, there's classics where some cultures expect their children to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, etc., and they're disappointed if they're not. But I had to take the reins of my own life and say, you know what? This is, this is what I want and I'll make I'll engineer things around making this work for me and I'm not harming other humans I'm only doing things that are good for other people and I'm happy with the level that I'm at so how do you how did you that's a transition though and I'm, I'm interested in this personally right sure. so this is a little bit self-serving because I you know I work seven days a week 
I enjoy it, right? So for me, I enjoy my work. So I rationalize it like that. I don't feel like, like, oh my God, I'm a slave in the machine. But what I also know to be true is I also feel very guilty when I'm not working. Yeah. Right? And so as someone who came from a seven-day-a-week type uh, industry, what limiting beliefs did you have to overcome or how did you transgress that path to get to a place where you could be satisfied with it? Because on the one hand, I'm like, man, if I just had more time and went and did more things, that I actually don't know if I could just go do that. I think I would probably malfunction a little bit. So how, do you, how did you, how well, did you, how did you do that? Well, I just the notion that time equals money. Mm. Time equals life. So I talk about, you know, a lot of people are chasing all the money that's left on the table, but I, I don't want to sacrifice life for that. You know, that if you look at yin-yang or light versus shade, everything is self-contained. You can't have good without bad or bad without good. There's got to be a payoff. A lot of people tell themselves they love what they do, so they're happy to work as much as possible. There's a popular guy on the internet at the moment who spends his time at the gym. He's He's got a loving partner. They don't have kids. He works seven days a week and he's very interested in building $100 million businesses. But that's not my goal. So I can detach from that and say, well, that's that would make me unhappy. I would have to pay a price or a penalty that I'm not satisfied with. So it's it's getting clear on what you actually want. So I pay attention to things I don't like. I didn't like driving into an office and spending all day there solving other people's problems and growing other people's businesses and then going home with not much energy left in the tank for my own family. So I needed to change that. So it seems to me that what you're sort of touching on is that there's potentially a slight programming issue, right? So it's totally software. Are, yeah, it's it's the software yeah. program you're running. What version of software are you running? Have you got? Are you running Basic that that you had since birth? I mean, a lot of your ideas were formed before you were five years old, and mm. if you've never questioned it, you're just going to continue running that old software program, like the the bulk of society. Right, I, and I believe you've been successful in uh, property areas, etc. And you would have noticed that normal everyday people just make the normal everyday mistakes because they're running old software. Yeah, that's right. So, how can people start to then reprogram that a little we'll bit? Be aware like, do you think it's, is it a process? <laughs> I, yeah. I so, so if we could, yeah, but like, is there is there like is it a pra- practice of goal setting or something, for example? Because because like simultaneously you've got to work out what good looks like right in order to arrive at any destination you have to decide what that destination is going to be and then you need to work out if that is even the right destination i remember uh when i not that long ago i was you know a drug addict and alcoholic and all that kind of stuff and then got like went through this kind of like personal development uh process and started to like set these big goals because the information i was being fed was like lamborghinis and all that stuff right so I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to own like nine Lamborghinis and I'm going to do all this kind of... Dude, I couldn't care less about owning a car. I don't want to own a car. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. But it took it took a while to kind of like... But it kind of, to me, it seems like the programming, reprogramming starts by setting the right goals. But then the right goals is kind of like the, the little bit that needs to be worked well, it out. Could be just, do you have any it could be just... I mean, it could be um, you might know what you want, but a lot of people don't know what they want and that's okay. But you might know what you don't want, <laughs> right? Mm. It could just be moving away from your current situation. There's an interesting fact that a lot of people who are in a victim mode, they're getting some kind of payoff for that. So like if they're if they're depressed or they're an alcoholic or whatever, they might get a payoff from being in that mode where, you know, they can use that as a reason or a justification or an excuse for not having their perfect life. Oh, I could have an ex- have a great life except for, you know, I don't feel motivated or whatever. And then people say, oh, you poor thing. And then they provide for them, you know, so I think taking responsibility is a good step forward. 
decide that you are going to take responsibility. You can't control everything, but the things you can control, you could be responsible to do that. So extreme ownership, I guess some people call that. Knowing that you can rewrite your software. For me, it was books. You can see books behind me on the library. That was my outlet to to the to new frontiers was to to get out of the the pattern that I was in was to unlock ideas and then implement those ideas and I did that all through my career and I still read books now so I think books are a great resource for me other people will do that with podcasts or watch YouTube videos or just have conversations with interesting or different people but knowing that your software is rewritable and deciding that you want to upgrade it and probably a big step is get rid of the malware like remove the false scripts that are in there that are holding you back I like that. I like that. Get, get, get rid of the malware. What, my interesting inflection point in my life was when I deleted all my social media accounts off my phone and stuff and just stopped, stopped consuming. Yeah, because you're like, falling. Man. If you don't have a plan, you fall into someone else's plan, right? That's that saying. Mm. In terms of the vision or the goal, one of the people who was influential on me, he, he said, look, imagine you're at Grand Central Station and you can hop on a train and go any station you want. Like, where do you actually want to go? And then you do that visualization of getting there. You're now at your dream destination. Are you happy with that? Is that what you actually want? Does it fulfill everything for you? And you can sometimes figure out, you know what, it actually doesn't. There was a time in my life where we moved to five acres in a rural setting, and I started feeling quite isolated. It was just animals and no people. And it was a long drive just to go and get a coffee at a, a shop or even do shopping and a fair drive to the beach. And I was like, okay, a little bit of me is dying inside now. I, I need to I need to get out of here. I need to go to the beach. I need to reset. Mm. So sometimes you don't sometimes you end up in a place you're not happy with. If that's you right now, decide what would be a better place and, and if so, what would be the first steps to, to moving towards that, even if you don't have all the answers, which a lot of people don't. What's the first step, you know, and how motivated are you to at least take that first step and explore this option? Mm. So, assuming people have then worked out, can like go through that process and work out what they don't want and then reduce that down to what idea, what good looks like, there's still a propensity as a self-confessed workaholic to go, that's great. So, now what I'm going to do now that I know where I want to go is I'm going to work 100 hours a week to try and get there. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about focus and the power of 644 64 the you know 64-4 rule and how that might be a tool to get what you want faster yeah so i came up with a scoring system to you know based on the 80 20 i realized that and most people know what the pareto principle is uh, i learned that it's fractal and it can be applied on itself so it turns out that um, nearly two-thirds of the results you're getting are coming from just 4% of the things you're actually doing. So if you were going to spend 100 hours um, to get a 100% result, you could spend four hours to get a 64% result. That's pretty profound. Mm. So I realized that not all tasks are equal or not all activities are equal. And I realized that uh, there's just a few things that really matter. So I started shedding away those things that are insignificant. Like the first step is to pay attention to what you're actually spending that time on. The, the second step would be to measure and track, you know, if it's actually effective or not, if you, if you possibly can. And then uh, once you remove everything else or you hire other people to do those tasks because you know what your hourly rate's worth, that's another tool that I sort of pushed is this effective hourly rate. Now you're only left with things that really matter 
and therefore you can make a good income off very few hours a week if that's your goal. But some people want to spend 100 hours a week on their, on their, and it might not be because they love what they do. They might tell themselves that, but it might be because they hate their partner and don't want to spend any time with them. Or it might be because they're, they're so unsure of what they should be doing, they just feel more comfortable being busy because it feels like they're doing something to move forward because of an old program that says work is good, you know, high work ethic or hustle equals uh, better. Some people used to brag about how full their schedule is and I'd actually feel sorry for them. And I think how sad is that? You actually think a full schedule is good, but it's, it, I think it actually means you just don't know what you're doing. Mm, that's super interesting. I want to get into some practicalities around that though. How do, how, if someone, and it could, this could be uh, an early stage business owner, or it could be someone who is not a business owner, but they're, they're like, right, I want to create a bit. How can people start to then, like, do you got any practical advice on how people can start to then track and measure, like, what is actually giving them the things they want? Is there, a, do you have a process for that? Well, if you have a job, then your, your effective hourly rate is your wage. So yep. that's easy to calculate. It's funny because almost every employee knows their hourly wage. Most entrepreneurs don't know their hourly wage. So if you have a business, the first step would be to work out your effective hourly rate. What is your revenue minus costs? That's all your fixed and variable costs equals profit divided by the number of hours you work. So that's your effective hourly rate. But then take it to the next level. If you have more than one product or more than one company or more than one division, which most creative visionaries seem to accumulate, do it by product line or do it by business and you'll be shocked. Some of the product lines or business models you have, you probably make less than you could make if you were working at McDonald's and uh, some of them will be really high. Then I'd say to you, hey, like, should you do more of the stuff that's really high and less of the stuff that's really low? And just making those little adjustments can have a profound impact. Even just stopping doing wasted activities gives you a net better return. Like you actually make more profit with less hours by just not doing some things than doing anything extra. That's pretty profound. And, and I use a 3D process for this. Data, decisions, do. So I get all the information in the data. Based on the data, it helps me make decisions. And then once I've decided what's going to happen, then I do it. And that's the sort of constant cycle of how I make those optimizations. So I think you mentioned earlier about business, selecting the right business model. I think you touched on it very, very briefly. Now, I'm going to use myself as a little bit of a guinea pig here. I've got two businesses. <laughs> one of them is, uh, one of them is, you know, have gone, gone great guns. You know, it's got a team of like 50, 60 people. It's, it's awesome. It's honestly, I couldn't be happier. We decided to start a technology company as well, which is interesting. The vision is great, but it's a, um, it's a cash sink. It's the opposite of cash cow. <laughs> How do you know when to persist? It's a hard one. Versus just, yeah, versus just ruthlessly going, is that making money? Like my effectively, my effective hourly rate on on that business would be, you know, I don't even want to calculate it. Would be negative. Um, I'm paying it to it'd be it'd be significantly negative. Yeah. Now, but that could be a, just a now thing. So how do you how do you decide? Let's. It, it doesn't have to be the, the example I get. Maybe someone's got four. So maybe someone's got four business, four product lines in their business, and they got two which are more mature and therefore more profitable, and they got two which are, for example, maybe newer, and they're still working out product market fit all of that kind of stuff, and so they're not profitable. How do you know when to quit or how do you rationalize between short-term realities and long-term potential? Well, it's hard to know definitively, but there are certain certain guidelines 
a lot of people are dreamers and they're unrealistic in their expectations. So that's why they often, uh, that's why get rich quick schemes are appealing for people to buy and markers to sell because it appeals to the, not the rationalization, it appeals to the emotional side of things. Like you might have an emotional goal that you're going to be a tech billionaire. The reality might be that you're in a massively flooded, highly competitive market where only the super pros succeed. Even companies like Google come under threat when a Microsoft buys ChatGPT and sticks it in their search engine. Like even the biggest guys have competitive threats looming on them. Software is a very difficult business. So it's a matter of being really realistic and honest about your, your prospects or chances. So knowing a lot of a lot of the the facts before you go into something will often prevent you from going into it in the first place. So I'll give you a simple example. If I thought, oh, I think it'd be great to have a coffee shop. You know, most people at some point think, oh, I'd love to have a coffee shop. But then you go and interview three people who own a coffee shop, you will never own a coffee shop. <laughs> They'll tell you they wake up at four o'clock, they get the message from their team members uh, who's, who's not going to show up today because they're sick. The coffee delivery didn't make it because the truck got stopped on the highway or whatever with a broken axle. The uh, the bakeries messed up their order and they sent you the wrong things and your rent's going up 20% for no reason other than the landlord's a bit greedy. Or they're putting roadworks on the street out the front and there's no pass-by traffic. Like It could be a really difficult business to have, but you may not know it unless you go in with your eyes wide open. So do your research. I always put something on a spreadsheet first to decide if it's even viable. If it's heading, if, it, if it's actually in motion, I'm still going to use a spreadsheet. I'm going to be using factoring and my best calculations to see if it even scales to something that I'd be happy with. And I've killed off more ideas than you could imagine by just shutting them down on a spreadsheet and saying, you know what, even if this business goes well, I'm not going to be happy with it. That's how I end up with the very few business models that I really do like that have worked well for me. And I'm happy to coach other people and, and point out for them their pitfalls and challenges they're going to have along the way. But I've worked with a lot of software people and I know a lot of the pros and cons just from having observed, been around that industry for 15 years. So unless you do the research, it'll be hard for you to actually know if you're likely to succeed or not. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because I, um, I think that's the hard thing. Because like, even if you're like, diligently, right? I'm going to think about this deeply. I'm going to do financial modeling. I'm going to do all of that kind of stuff. Depending on the assumptions you, well, also you make like, about what the- It could be yes, tricky, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie yeah, yeah, totally. um, the Tetris. It's on Apple, but it's, you know, there's some elements of luck involved in how that got licensed and brought from Russia to the other markets. Oh, yeah, for sure. But also like, but you know, there's some there's some luck in the actual outcome of success for sure, but in the in the perception of success, it depends on the input. Well, most people have, um, you know, optimistic glasses. Most entrepreneurs mm. they can see the good in everything, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Especially mm. at the moment with the disruption happening with AI, I'd be very wary of mm. tech because it's there's thousands of new AI tools coming on the market every single week. It's it's a gold rush. In a year from now, there'll be very few standing. It might be better to buy a company that's already proven in a year from now than to have a crapshoot at trying to make something amazing for some people. Mm. So without knowing any of the context of what you're doing with tech, there, there is a lot yeah. to consider, uh, but, but there is a 
there may be a point where you realize that it's not going to be successful. Some of your key assumptions fail. You set, uh, so what I do is I set trigger points. For example, if I was going to start a new division for my company, it would have to reach $10,000 per month profit within three months or I would kill it. Interesting. Super interesting. You've looked at a lot of business models and you said you've got some favorite business. Do you, do you think there are, is like a, a right business model or several right business models? What, what does an ideal business model look like? I think a lot of it's going to come down to the, the person running the business because people have different strengths mm. and, and weaknesses and skill sets. So like if you want to do communities or forums, you might have to be a nurturing type of person. If, if mm. you're very technical or analytical, you might be drawn towards you know, more the software type of stuff or introverted. A lot of programmers are introverts, right? They don't want a human-to-human connection. That's what drives them to the computer. They can communicate in zeros and ones. So I think the business model is going to depend a lot on circumstance. Mm. Okay, cool. So I'm going to ask you a, a follow-up question to that in a second, but what is your perspective on on buying versus building? You know, do you think that it's, um, you know, given the amount of risk involved in actually getting something off the ground, do you think it's smarter for people to just go and find established businesses and, and buy those businesses? Do you have a perspective on that? It might be de- depend on if they're the type of person that can grow a business or if they like to, to just manage a business. So you might you might be one or the other or both. Mm-hmm. I've, look, I, I work closely with a company and they teach people to buy and to build. And so they've, they've found that some of their people are really good at at starting from scratch and growing stuff, but not good at managing it. And other people are really good at managing stuff, but can't get it together in the first place. So they've actually ended up with two complementary groups who support each other. I've started businesses. I have no issue starting a business, but I set my parameters and do my research and I set trigger points. I don't often buy businesses. I have done it before where I see an opportunity. For example, I bought uh, 200 websites at once at one point and I only paid a small amount for it. One of the domains I was able to sell for multiples of what I paid for the 200 websites within a week of buying them. And then the rest I was able to develop into a six-figure per month income stream via link building network for SEO. I added it to a whole network. Ended up having Mm. a thousand websites and we could rank anything at the drop of a hat, right? So it was a good business model. Historically, at that time, it was a good business model but as social media gets stronger and stronger and AI gets smarter and smarter, I think that business model will be more risky over time. So I sold that business. So I think there's a lot to say for timing. And again, like the guy who mm. brought 80-20 to the market, Richard Koch, he talks about the star investing principle. And I really like that. It's just acknowledging that there are hyper growth opportunities in any market. And then there's top performers within the hyper growth. And if you just take those few that are knocking it out of the park. You don't need all the rest. Makes sense. Okay. So going back to the um, the kind of like looping this back a little bit to the business model thing and tying in a couple of the other things that we've spoken about. If someone is, if someone's a blank canvas, right? They're standing there today and they're going, right, I'm working 100 hours a week. I feel dissatisfied with my current state of existence. I want to find a way to work less and make more. What James is doing sounds really good to me. What What is the kind of like, pathway that they should take kind of the, can you kind of break it down into some steps how should they think about getting started or should they you know obviously everyone's individual situation is going to be completely unique but as a as a general heuristic like what does that pathway look like yeah i'd track the 100 hours so mm-hmm. if someone came to me in that scenario i'd say oh, i want you to share with me what are you actually doing for those 100 hours a week and then i'd look mm-hmm. through those tasks 
and I'd separate them into high value and low value tasks. I'd first ask what can be deleted? What's a complete waste of time that, that makes no difference? Like for example, are you changing the font on your website three times a week? Because like just pick one and that's it. We don't have to do that anymore. So first step is track where that time's being spent. The second step would be to delete anything that's not necessary. The third step would be to allocate the low value tasks to someone else or something else. It could be software these days. It could be a person. And then only focus on the things that have the maximum impact or leverage for yourself. If you just do that for a while, you're going to actually free up a lot of time. Chances are you'll get down to about 10 or 15 hours a week of really important stuff. And then you'll have a small cost for other people to, or other software to do some of the things. And then a lot of stuff won't need to be done at all. And you'll still get the same or more revenue. So one of the issues that I've always had with people saying that like work out your effective hourly rate just in the context of this conversation, let's just say it's, let's say it's $50 an hour at the point of the discussion. Everything that um, you can outsource for less than $50 an hour, you should just outsource. All oh, you probably should delete kind of a lot of it because it's that low value. It's probably not that important. Okay. That's interesting. So, but contextually, the, the, the sort of the general advice though is like, you know, you can outsource it. Maybe you could get somebody else to do the work. You could hire a cleaner. You could get a chef. You could, you know, get some, hire some team members and whatever. The challenge that I have with that is that unless you're also simultaneously growing your income, you'll end up going broke. You'll outsource everything and be broke. Well, I think is the that, principle with that, if you're going to get someone else to do the low value tasks, you would allocate mm-hmm. some of the time you're spending on them to your higher value tasks. So if your average effective value rate is $50, some tasks might cost you $5 an hour to have someone else do. And there might be tasks that are worth $150 or $250 an hour that only you can do. So if you just spent mm. that same time that you were spending on $5 tasks on the $250 tasks, your effective hourly rate will actually increase and your total income will increase. So it's labor arbitrage. Let's talk about team management then because there's an interesting thing that comes into this as well. I've got two questions around this because I know you have a team. I've got a team. A lot of what this sounds like is optimizing for, for lack of a better term, for your personal goals, right? Hey, I want, this is what I want my life to be. This is how I'm going to design my business, all that kind of stuff. I have two questions. One is, how do you ensure your team are aligned with your personal goals? How do you, how do you, how do you keep them motivated to achieving your personal outcomes? You want to work less and make more. The second part of the question is, when you think about high-value activities, where does like your team fit into that? Like, do you have weekly whole team meetings or like like how much do you lean into into that? And do you consider that to be a high value task? Because on the one hand, it's like ah, it's a meeting. Meetings are a waste of time. But on the other hand, it could be the thing that glues your your business together. Well, if you think it's a waste of time, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think you can motivate people. I think you can demotivate people. So it's a matter of communicating very clearly when someone comes on board what it is that you're actually doing and how this how this whole thing works. So ideally, you have people come on that mission with you. I would say my team are on the mission with me. I'm very clear. I mean, obviously, they know that I'm preaching about work less, make more. I often talk about having your own business. I have sort of developed their entrepreneurial aspects. So for example, in my business, we don't have set hours. We don't have set work weeks. We don't even have very clear procedures that need to be followed per day. Like a, we've stripped away a lot of the bureaucracy. 
it's kind of like, hey, mm. here are the things that need to be done in the business that I will do, which is um, I'll be the face on the podcast. I'll be the person coaching the clients. Uh, I'll be the one coming up with strategic ideas for taking this company forward and I'll be the one to find suppliers for expertise for things we need but everything else has to get done emails have to be sent websites have to be updated bookkeeping needs to be done videos need to be edited podcasts need to be published I need people to help me with that if that's something you're interested in let's go and if any of those activities are interesting to lean into those okay and uh, we we run our business in slack and I ask them to self-organize so a lot of these ideas come from people like Ricardo Semler. I believe if you just let them know the mission you're on and what outcomes you're looking for. So for example, I, I really want customer support to happen seven days a week. I don't care who does it, when they do it. I just want to make sure that customers get great support. If they could organize themselves around when they need time off or, or who's going to take that responsibility, that's ideal. And I would only have to step in if it breaks. Um, and it works for us. Our team meetings are about 12 minutes a week on a Tuesday, and it's it's usually just me sharing what's on my mind, uh, where the business is up to, a health report. They can see it anyway. They have visibility on our stats. We publish it every single day in the channel on the, the, the pulse of our business, so they know that they're in a safe, yeah. secure business, and they know that the things they're doing are having an impact because they can see it. It's no mystery. And then uh, we just find out what each person is sort of working on at the moment, if they need any support or resource, or they got any questions. And so it's a very open communication. And also, I usually try and make them laugh because I'd like them to have fun. I want them to look forward to the meeting and not to resent the meeting. Yeah, I, I love that. There's a lot of similarities, I think, in uh, in the way that... So we, we, we don't have any set work hours. We have unlimited paid annual leave. We have a work from anywhere policy. We all of these things. We we'll try to create a place that people, you know, choose to be because they they're passionate about being there, not because you know they feel like they've got a, a a job, so to speak. How do you think about quality control though in those kind of circumstances? Like it's kind of like, hey, I would like customer service to happen seven days a week. How do you know that it is happening? And then how do you also? Uh, know that it's happening to the standard with which you expect. We do run a net promoter score for closed tickets, so it's pretty obvious if something gets dropped because we won't get a 10 out of 10, which would be unusual. We, I do get the, the support channels fed into Slack so I could look at the tickets if I want to go a bit deeper. Sometimes I'll have a look around the business and just see what's happening. We have quality control procedures anyway, so just standard rules of thumb. Anyone working on a project has access to an SOP they can use. The things like sending emails, there's uh, like a nuclear key system. One person writes the email, the other person checks the email. You, you can't check your own work. Mm. I don't care who the other person is. could be me, could be someone else. But some person pushes a test send and the other person has to read it, check the links and say, yes, it's good to go. And we have very few errors using this system. Wow, that's interesting. That's it. Yeah, that's an interesting... Yeah, because I, I love the idea of, of giving people a lot of autonomy. Richard Branson, uh, I read a quote by Richard Branson the other day. Somebody asked him, you know, you, you've built several billion dollar companies, you know, blah, blah, blah. How do you do it? And he said, it's pretty simple. The job of the CEO is to craft a compelling vision, hire the best people in the world, and then get it, give them the resources to do their job well and get out of the way. And, you know, I, I love that because if you... And look, best people in the world is subjective. Best it could be the best people in the world for you and your business at that point in time. You don't have to have like the number one customer service person in the whole world, but it could be 
the best culture fit uh, that is in alignment with your vision and your values and all of that kind of stuff that's going to deliver with excellence in the thing that you're doing. And if you just empower them and give them permission to do their best work, support them to do that work. The same as Woody Allen. <laughs> he hires actors and lets them act. They say, oh, how, how do you want me to read this line? Or whatever. He says, look, you're the actor. You act. <laughs> just, just directing this film, right? I love that. I love that. I've heard you talk about four key profit levers that every business has. Do you want to kind of talk about that for a second? Yeah, I surveyed all the people that I've been helping and I just found out what the core problems are or the challenges they're having. And it's sort of, I put them into categories. Team and scaling is clearly one. Like a lot of people can have a reasonable income by themselves, but they have growing pains when they have to start hiring. And most people don't have training for it. It's probably not something they're taught at school or university. And unless they've been in a leadership training program at some employee, they're, they're usually pretty weak on, on growing teams. So team and scaling, I, I lump together in one category. Another one is the, the self-effectiveness. So, you know, rewriting the software script, being clear on your own values and looking after yourself health-wise. Like if that's broken, your business will usually be broken. Like you get an, a gambler or an alcoholic, it's probably going to run across into the business in, in some way bad decisions or grumpy moods, et cetera. The other one is sales and marketing, of course, the, the fundamental skill that most people are, who have a great product need to actually convey that to the market and, and make sales happen. And the last one is the, the business model, how to price and package and put your product to market in a way that's fairly effective because there's a lot of things around that. Most people are not sure how to price things. They're not sure which part of the market they want to serve or what the best business model is or they do too many business models. or they, It's a bit confusing. How do you price things effectively? Is it just like pick a number and test it and see if people pay for it or could be. process for that? I mean, value-based pricing is a nice way to go. It's, it's pricing things mm. based on the, the outcome or the result that someone could get. If you can do that, uh, often you can have a good profit margin and people are still very happy because they're getting a return on their investment. I've got two more questions. Second last question is, what is one contrarian belief that you hold to be true? What is one thing that you believe that goes against the grain? And it could be everything we've just been talking about, to be honest, because I think a lot of the stuff that, you're, that, you, that you talk about does kind of run against the, against the grain. But what is one contrarian belief that you hold to be true? Uh, yeah, well, that's an interesting one. I mean, I just had someone today, because I was giving away my book on social media and one guy whose his username was something like Strong Mindset 57 said, oh, it seems unlikely, you know, that you could work less, make more. So, look, I, th- I think that I really think disassociating with this idea that time equals money or that that hard work is good is is something I've moved away from. And it is, it's so jumped into people, uh, they have a lot of resistance to it. They, they like to make things difficult. They do build up guilt if they're not working long hours or working hard. But there really doesn't have to be that relationship. Time equals life. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go away and have a little look at my calendar, I think, after this and have a little think about well, you know, <laughs> where I'm maybe. Send your calendar to me and tell me what do I what do I think about it or, you know, I'd be questioning everything. That's really my mantra, question everything. I'd be saying, is this necessary? Could it be done with in a different channel? Like, for example, Jeff Bezos, I think he he'd rather do a memo than have a meeting. And if he has a meeting, there has to be an agenda and they have to have read the meeting notes before they attend. And if no one, if someone in the meeting can't contribute or shouldn't be there, they, they're free to leave at any time. I think, I think it's very important to question all these things. Yeah, because 
finding it op- finding the most optimally efficient way to run and grow your business isn't just good for the business owner who might want to work less, make more. It's good for all of the individuals in business as well. Right? It's also because nobody wants to, to serve more people if you can reach more customers. Or mm-hmm. let's let's face it, if you can actually just stay in business, you've already achieved one of the main things that most people fail. Yeah, that is true. If you could send one message to the world, like imagine you could send a text message to every single person, every single mobile phone in the world, or you know, you could just have a like a little a pop up on every digital device in the world, just one, just like a screen takeover with one core message. What would it be? Oh, uh, there's a few. <laughs> um, gosh, given all the pandemic and everything and the the government mandates, I'd say question everything. So like, <laughs> or something like wake up. I mean, people are just ridiculous the way that they have, have been manipulated and controlled and don't act out about it. It's fascinating. But on a more on a more um, general note, I might send a message like, hey, there's, I like that quote that there's, there's no one in the world who you wouldn't love if you knew their full story, right? We're so mm-hmm. interested in ourselves, we forget to have compassion or just be kind or nice to other people. So I'd probably be like, be kind to others. Sounds pretty mushy. But I'm sort of at that stage in life where if I'm out there surfing and, and someone waves me onto a wave or something that could have been theirs and, and they see that I haven't caught one for a while and they let me have that, you know, that goes a long way to humanity, I think. Hmm. What do you want to be remembered for? I think that's an ego-based question, really. Yeah, it's good. You know, when that's people nice. like, oh, I want to, like, get over yourself. <laughs> it's going to turn to dust. It doesn't matter once you're gone, probably. Like... It's when people do stuff because of legacy or family, I always question that. I'm very cynical about it. Like, really? Are you doing it for family or is it just your raging ego wanting to, wanting to so, be significant? Yeah, but, but have, you, have you managed to disconnect from your ego so much that you're not even, like, what do you want to be remembered for might be like, ah, legacy and stuff. And I agree with you. It's, you know, Look, it's I imagine if I died tomorrow, tomorrow. Like, from an impact don't... perspective or, you know, like, how do you, you must care about like no, but I mean, it don't, it's, it's kind of it is. It's kind of a non-event, isn't it? It doesn't matter when it stops; it's finished. We're dust. There's nothing. So, what about before it stops? What if, you know? Like it's it's like what it, I guess what well, I'm asking is like a living funeral. Yeah. Well, I think people would say that I I think that sales a nice person, and I I um I help people, you know see the good in themselves and get results they never thought possible or, or that, that I cared about them or, or that I was um, genuine or I cut straight to the chase or whatever. I, you know, I think, I think reputationally I'm very happy with, with how I've conducted myself. I've seen a lot of people fall by the wayside along, along my journey, but I know it's a long game. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm probably maybe around halfway through my life, you know, so I'm taking that viewpoint. So I feel like there's, I just want to surf better. You know, if it all boils down, I just want to surf better. That's a personal uh, satisfaction. I feel good when I have it, when I catch a good wave, when I've got the right equipment, and and when nature aligns. Or you know, if I see a dolphin fly by or whatever, I, that's all cool. I I want to. It's not about me. People aren't thinking about me, and I'm not thinking about me that much. You know, too much beyond the simple stuff. I I don't know. I guess I've got the simplest view of life I've ever had. It's interesting. How would you describe that simple view? Just chill, like just relax. You know, and people are, and I think as you get a bit older, you realize a lot of what you worried about when you were a kid was bullshit, <laughs> and you can let go of it. Like in your twenties, you have to prove to the world that you are the man, and you have to provide. 
you have to really have to dominate by the time you're 30 or you're over. And in your 30s, it's when you get to really just flex and show that you are the person until you get to 40. When you're 40, you realize how you knew nothing when you're in your teens or 20 and that you now have got some actual life lessons and you get some more humility. And when you get to 50, then that's when you realize that's when the vast majority of your wealth is going to actually occur and you really do know what's right and wrong and you can lean into the good stuff and just discard a lot of the crap. You don't have to wear the Rolex anymore. You don't need to impress other people because you're already happy with yourself. And I imagine in your 60s, you might get a little more grumpy <laughs> and more <laughs> more set in your ways. But, but I, you know, I hope to maintain a fluid mindset. I still listen to latest hits and I've got young kids, so I'm staying connected to current culture. Mm. But I'm just enjoying life. That's really my, my status. I think for many, many years, I was pushed into that office environment in the suit, forcing to put on the office face and doing things that were less than exciting as a human, a lot of firing, a lot of performance targets having to be met, a lot of, a lot of work, just work too hard. It's, it's time for me now to let all that tension out of my body and just exist in a more passive way. I like it. So I have got three copies of Work Less, Make More, believe it or not, a physical book. Thank you. Um, they're all actually all in storage uh, in Sydney. We actually moved to, um, to, to Bali, and so they're in storage in Sydney. And it was really interesting because I remember reading them um, a couple of years ago, and I've probably read the book about three or four times, one of a few books that I've read several times. You know, so, And uh, what, was, what was really interesting is the process of reconnecting uh, with you to organize this interview caused me to then reflect on uh, what are the kind of things I want to ask James and it actually the process of reconnecting with the way that you think about the world has caused me to pause and reflect and the process of pausing and reflecting and going huh okay what am I doing and is this taking me closer towards what my ideal life is what is my ideal life is a, is a very interesting process and I would really encourage anyone whether they've got a business or not to get a copy of the book and just like read through it and actually go what what lessons some of it's quite business centric but also like what lessons can you take out of it for your own life and how can you how can you live a life by design and craft your most you know consciously optim- optimal uh, existence so james it's been really really fun thank you i appreciate it i really appreciate all your insights and there's um some good the good thing is i'm going to take away from this bonus personally and go and check it out if people want to um engage with you or your or any of your coaching stuff where do they go Look, I'm James Shramko, like .com or on the socials. Yeah, it's just me. <laughs> there I am. Come visit. <laughs> nice. Awesome. James, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Goose. It's great to catch up and thanks for the kind words. Appreciate it. See you soon.